Welcome to AM. My name is Richard Conway, and this is the platform for age group multi-sport athletes to showcase their journeys. Thank you for joining us on AMP, the Age Group Multisport Podcast. And we're on episode 24. On this episode, we go international once more. And we're joined by Germany's Stefan Lewendorf. Stefan has a long history of cycling um, in various forms, from road racing, cyclocross, and mainly track, where he was the 4,000 metre pursuit Berlin state champion. So with a good pedigree of cycling, Stefan turned to triathlon round about 1993 and his first Ironman was Ironman Rot in 1997. Um, he also qualified and finished corner Ironman in 2010. He's a father of two boys and a husband um, and his wife is also a triathlete and a three times Ironman corner finisher. Stefan mainly concentrates now on duathlon um, due to time constraints and he usually gets his training in going to and from work. However, he's now working from home like many of us. He was national duathlon champion in 2014. He got silver in 2015 on the long course and a silver in 2018 and a bronze in 2019. And he's now searching for gold. So that's Stefan, and that'll be coming up shortly. Before that, we've got Dave Cripps from Tritonaceous and his second part of Strength and Conditioning, giving us his uh, hints and tips. Um, and Dave delves into sport-specific exercises and also the negative impact doing exercises the wrong way can have. And how much is necessary, how much we actually need to do as triathletes. So that's all coming up. Hope you enjoy it. Um... Lately, we've had a few more races cancelled, unfortunately, or moved back to later on in the year. Uh, one of those being Clumber Park, and that's been cancelled for this year. The event management team who run that have pulled out. So British Tri are looking for a, a new venue so they can hold qualification races for the Duathlon 2022 season uh, in age group. So yeah, we'll just watch this space. On a personal note, I've had my first vaccination. The only side effect I felt was a dead arm uh, a day or two later, which was <laughs> like somebody just punched you in the upper arm. But other than that, I felt great, felt fine. Um, didn't affect me, so glad to have had that. And I've got the next one in April, and then we'll be fully vaccinated up. So if we can travel, then we'll be able to do so. So that was good. Had a bit of an easy week last week, and this week... Did a ramp test on Zwift. Didn't go so well. Lost even more uh, FTP wattage. I'm going to go back to doing the 20-minute test and see see how that fares. Other than that, keeping the consistency going. Keep training. I've got another 5K test to do. Got a bit of a bit of a niggle on the hamstring, so I'm just taking it easy. I think that's about it for now. So we shall move on to our first guest. Second part, as I said, of Dave Cripps from uh, Tritonaceous. Um, and hope you enjoy it. See you on the other side. And again, it's, it's like it depends. But how much of strength and conditioning should should we do per week? Um, so I, I think one of, the, one of the challenges that fits in the time is that my strength and conditioning originally originated from strength and power sports, particularly like rugby, really good example. Those guys have more time to do this type of work potentially, and it's naturally more relatable to them. When we look at multi sport athlete, you know, I know myself, you know, um, my training, all my coaching work, I've got a family, three kids, and a wife. Yeah. It's hell of a lot to juggle before you even think about adding on a fourth discipline. But I think a lot of the time, because people look at information from other sports, or they look at information from coaches who are mainly used to working in other sports, 
they believe the amount of training that they have to do with strength and conditioning is actually a lot more than they actually need to. Mm. So we always say that the quality of the training completely surpasses the quantity of it. So if we take a typical ballpark figure of people who, who, who we work with, multi-sport, for example, they might do anywhere between 50 to 80 minutes of strength and conditioning a week. However, that won't necessarily got one session or two big sessions. There's various different ways, and I'm more than happy to talk about them in a moment, that we can divide that up yeah. because of actually physically how we're training the body. So it's quite different to endurance where you almost have to block your training because creating fatigue is really important. Strength and conditioning for endurance sports is actually very different. So we can actually be a lot more versatile with that kind of 50 to 80 minutes a week, how we use it over the week. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, we can incorporate that into other things. So if you're doing a main strength session a week, which is maybe 40 minutes, the remainder that you need to do can actually just be included in warm-ups that precede your swim, your bike, and your run, which you probably would have already done. But by doing more focused work, you're not only ticking off the warm-up box, you're ticking off the extra strength and conditioning work to give the improvements that we want. So, yeah, typically, we'd say 50 to 80 minutes a week is... Um, it's enough, we know that, we see improvements through, for example, uh, minute mile running pace, um, power output measurements if we're working on the bike, and um, so it does work, but the key is it's very focused, mm. we're not, when you know every exercise is purpose, when you know how every rep will benefit that athlete, you can be very, very effective because the quality is right up there, mm. whereas if you're not using exercises because you don't know how they will benefit things we call it the kitchen sink approach yeah. we'll throw everything at it so only 50% might if it might stick so again the quality of it will be low and usually you'll feel I have to do more than you actually have if you were to go in and do a 45 minute workout twice a yeah. week what yeah. would that entail for covering the swim and the bike and the run part of the strength Example, even though I've just spoken about swim, bike, and run, 
All I've said is just exercises which extend the hip immunity and exercises which basically just yeah. pull your arm down to your side, if you like. Yeah. It would be really easy for me to on the face and say, well, we need um, exercises for your glute muscles, your hamstring muscles, to bend your elbow, to uh, extend your elbow, triceps. When we're combining it, combining it into these what we call compound movements, it makes it much more easier, not only to train, but for people to actually understand mm. how they can apply it into their training. Yeah. Um, and then the final bit on that, again, if we're looking at kind of, I suppose, like injury prevention, I know mm. it's a bit of, it's not a very sexy word, it's pretty boring, but I think particularly as, <coughs> particularly as we get a bit more grey in the hair, we always say of injury prevention is that it's not about that on the face of it, it's about allowing your body to be more robust so you can spend more time doing what you love. Yeah which is swim, bike and run, or it might just be bike and run, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and if we're doing strength training in the right way, we know that that can happen without fail. So within those strength sessions that we just spoke about, that's sometimes where some of these more accessory exercises we'd use to address certain things. So if we've got somebody who does running, for example, that's where maybe we do some isolated calf work with them. Mm. Particularly if we've got a history of, of calf strains or particularly Achilles problems. Yeah. Most Achilles problems uh, actually occur mainly because there's a weakness in the muscle that attaches to it, um, so your calf muscles. We can also then cut common areas, um, what would usually be called core, so um, core strength. Mm. We know that plays a big role in lower back pain from cycling, in terms of overstriding, so bad mechanics from running. In terms of back pain, so using your back muscles as opposed to your buttock muscles when you're kicking your swim. Um, again, that's another area that sometimes again, we can cover um, within our strength training programs um, each week. So without, I think, going too much more deeper than that, throwing more, fundamentally, if we're ticking those boxes, we're going to have a pretty well-rounded strength and conditioning program. Obviously, you know, the specifics of how you fit that to yourself as an individual, um, that's kind of the, the, the next step. But fundamentally, I think those things hold true for most people involved in multi-sports. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah I mean, that's... You know, picking out there, I mean, it's you've hit hit sort of like the basics and kept it simple. Because I guess people who haven't done much strength training, it's like we've said earlier, it's, you know, it's such a big topic. Where do we start? You know, and you've just said like, not, you didn't say in so many words, but if you're looking at a squat, you're looking at a pull-up, you know what I mean? Those are a couple of exercises that people could, you know, people who have not done it before could start off on. Um so yeah, I mean that's 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 really really good information. Um, just one, one, one thing that just jumps out on that, and again, I think that that key thing that you said about making things understandable. Mm. So when we talk about injury prevention, um, again, there's a really good start on this uh, in Australia over five years. They looked at athletes um, and like illness and injury and what prevented them from having consistency with their training. They essentially found that. Um, the athletes who were able to complete more than 80% of their training because they were less injured and less ill were around seven times more likely to achieve goals that they'd set on out for, for their training over a period. So, again, we know if you can make you more durable to complete your training sessions, you're going to be a hell of a lot better. Um, but when we're talking about things like, let's say, back. So, again, I've had a bad back, so I know what it's like as yeah. well, as most of us have as yeah. well. It's really easy to start to go really deep and talk about things in such detail that people are lost. Essentially, when we're talking about the spine and not getting an injury, I often say, if you imagine a radio mast, mm. a radio mast has big metal wires off it, and the metal wires are there to support it so it doesn't get blown over in the wind mm. to make it stable. Now, if you look at your spine, the reason your spine gets injured is because it hasn't got enough stability. And that's because you haven't got strength in the muscles that provide the stability. So when we get stronger for our core and our hips, all we're doing essentially is getting those metal wires stronger and tighter to be able to support our spine. So again, that's a nice little cool way. And again, I know it's using analogies. It's a great way for people to be able to understand something that we could go really complex on, but understanding it in a way that they can grasp and then they can say, oh, okay, I get that. I can see now the value in work. I think the other, the other value, especially coming from a, an age group um, point of view where, you know, we start from 18 all the way up to till you're till you 80, 90, whatever, you know, I've seen, seen the whole range. And as we get older into our 40s and 50s, 
60s, 70s, 80s. Strength is so, so important. So we don't lose, you know, because you're losing your muscles, aren't you? As, you, as you get older, if you don't use them, you lose them. That's the saying, isn't it? You know, it's really important from that aspect as well, as we as we get older. And even if we weren't multi-sport athletes, doing those exercises is, is crucial and critical for a decent longevity. Yeah, I, again, uh, uh, I suppose, unfortunately, most of us, most of us probably come to that understanding having sustained a few injuries or a bad one. So it's almost like you have to go sometimes through the, the stress or frustration of an injury to start to actually realise some of the things you have to do. But then I do think it boils a lot down to, even then, it can be very difficult sometimes for multi-sport athletes to, to, to understand or incorporate strength and conditioning work, proper strength and conditioning work, because it's still not, well, how do I do it? Mm. How, how do I not risk getting injured more? Um, how do I fit it into my schedule? You know, and also just like classic um, myths like around, well, um, am I going to start to put on muscle? Again, what we <laughs> say yeah. um, with, with, with strength training is the amount of strength training um, that a triathlete will typically be able to do is very limited anyway. But the way that you use strength training in no way um, actually promotes the things that cause increases in muscle mass. Mm. Ironically, some of the common errors, which I'm more than happy to talk about in a bit with how strength training is typically done in the endurance world, um, actually is more likely to promote muscle gain mm. than the actual approaches that you do to apply it properly that actually won't do that. So I'm um, more than happy to talk about that in a bit. But yeah, um, yeah we usually finally get to that point, don't we, when yeah. we've had a few, few muscle strains or a few back spasms in there. Yeah, we've had that frustrate, frustration point. Yeah, yeah. And it does, and it does help. Um, I mean, I've been doing my, well, I've weight trained in one guise or another throughout my life and I've got my, my garage, we've just moved house and I've got my garage set up now with weights and stuff in there and um, and I've looked at your ebook, which we can talk about a little bit a little bit later. I looked at that, downloaded it and I actually had a go at that on, um, uh, when was that, on Tuesday just to go through the different exercises and for me that was a total different way of attacking it because obviously I'm I'm coming from normally pull-ups, squats, deadlifts, a uh, bit of bench press, um, you know that sort of those core core strength um, workouts and then when you you look at what you've put together it's like all oh, right okay yeah and I can see the benefits to to probably both. What do you think of the what I've just said about what I was doing the, there? Um, Versus what you've structured in that in that um, ebook. Well, I think the exercises that you mentioned, there's absolutely nothing wrong with them, and they're, they're exercises most of those that we will utilise at yeah. some stage. We, we're pretty much most multi-sport uh, athletes. Um, I think the ebook's a really good example, actually tying back to a question you probably we spoke about um, a little bit earlier on kind of fundamentally, what do I do? Yeah. And the exercises we put in there are ones which allow people, regardless of ability, because mm. obviously you can load them accordingly based on your levels of strength, but fundamentally to start to make sure that they're, they're training the right muscles during the right movements. Mm. Because what we often find is a, a big, big limiting factor for, and this is true, and I've come to a conclusion as to think why this is true. There's no science on it, but <laughs> technique when it comes to um, endurance athletes, and I, you know, I include myself in this. Um, we're not used to, apart from swimming, we're not used to having to think about technique too much. So like, when we go cycling running, our legs are moving so quickly, we can't focus in deep detail on like, every pedal mm. or every foot strike. And therefore, we just almost go into that kind of out-of-body state, which is great because it's what can allow us to do what we do, and that's what we enjoy doing as well, it be a good mental escape. With strength training, it's imperative to load the right muscles and to reinforce the right movements. And by that, what I mean is a good movement should have your joints aligning properly. Yeah, yeah. Great example is if somebody's doing a squat and the knees go inwards, it's not only the fact that the movement isn't right, we're not reinforcing movements really important for, say, good running mechanics, but we know we're not training in the right muscles because mm. the glute muscles should push your knees outwards if your knees are going in. We know we're not training the right muscles. But um, a lot of the time, therefore, technique will be compromised because we go into strength training thinking, right, we're going to bang it out, smash, 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 smash. And it means that what you get from the session, the stimulus in your body, is far less greater than actually if we go into that session thinking of it more like a swim session, 
So I set up a swing and you never think, right, I'm just going to smash out a thousand, a thousand metres. Some people might, <laughs> but particularly like me, when you're not naturally a good swimmer, you've got that, you're thinking about your body rotation, you think about how your hands enter in the water, because you know that to be able to do as best as you can, it's not just about thrashing it out, it's about the technique of what you're doing. And strength training is really important with that. So the exercises that you outlined in the ebook, they're exercises that you know technically start to get people reinforcing the right things. Because a lot of the time, even if they've done some of the more advanced exercises before, they're not actually reinforcing the right techniques, training the right muscles, and therefore the gains that they can get are a lot more limited. Mm. Whereas if we start them off with exercises, regardless of their ability or strength, they can, it's very hard for them to get technically wrong. We've almost then got that foundation that we can build from. So then as we go into some of those more advanced exercises, you mentioned things like squats, variations of deadlifts, we've now got the, the technique and we've now got the strength in the right areas to make much, much, much more better use. Mm. So every rep of a deadlift will maybe a lot more than it would have been before we'd almost built that foundation with those other strength exercises as well. Well, thanks once again, Dave, for those um, great hints and tips, especially the one there right at the end where it gives us food for thought about our technique when strength training because I think that's totally accurate um, that we really don't give much thought to the technique we just go in there and and I can only speak for myself I suppose just go in there and basically just thrash it out so yeah wise words and food for thought so thank you for that right now the main event Next up is Stefan Lewendorf. Hope you enjoy this one, and I'll see you on the other side. Okay, great. Thanks. So, Thanks. how are you? Yeah, hi. Yeah, well, I'm I'm fine actually. So, uh, with this lockdown and it's home office, so you know you got the the big one who's just starting up back school again, and uh, he's seven and turning eight, and the small one. Turning uh, turning four now and there's no daycare yet, so uh, that's just a, that's a little bit of a of a stress factor. But at, overall, you say I, I must not complain, right? Everyone's healthy so far, and um, yeah, um, things are all right considering all those circumstances. <laughs> so, what do you do for a living, Stefan? Yeah, it's uh, Stefan. Yeah, well, I am a solution architect in a big. German schoolbook publisher and well right now actually we are in high demand because uh, I'm responsible for um, the di- parts of the digital learning experience me and my team so that's what we are trying to make possible for yeah almost everyone right now who is forced uh, due to lockdown to study from home and to teach from home yeah so this is what i try to do whilst homeschooling myself yeah well i suppose it's nice to be able to give a little bit back at this time you know to try and help in some way Uh, yeah for sure so that's very fulfilling rather than just only doing something which is for for entertainment or or just to make more money this is something that's really worthwhile and gives a a benefit and uh, to to not only myself but everyone everyone else around me so especially when it comes to teaching and learning that's uh, something which is also an investment for the future and especially in challenging times like this so it's yes it's it's very fulfilling fulfilling and worthwhile isn't it so you're working from home i take it yeah yes yeah 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 cool cool yeah i mean it's how is it in germany is i mean are you in 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 lockdown i mean we're 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 back into lockdown um, and we've got Boris, Boris is telling us today what, what the next stage is. So what is it like for you over there? Yeah, so actually very similar here. So this is lockdown and it started off as a lockdown light and now we're back in full swing of doing well nothing in terms of going outside or continuing a, a normal life. But I think we're all in this together and we're trying to contain it locally, every country for itself. But at the end of the day, the solution I think is only about goes through vaccinations and keeping distance and hoping that uh, the mutations don't fan out as they are predicted to. Well, but I'm I'm not a medic, so I have no expertise whatsoever. Just I'm 
dealing as everyone else is with this time, or at least try to deal with it and um, hoping for the best. And luckily, everyone around me is still healthy, and I just hope it continues to stay like this. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what's um, going to happen, you know, in the in the coming months, whether we're going to have another year like last year, because things seem to be moving backwards. You know, they just put Roth back, I think, till the end of the year, haven't they? Um, yeah, so to be honest, <laughs> I think I, I, I nearly forgot how it, how it is to, to not be in lockdown. But uh, from a sporting perspective or events perspective, yes, I think uh, Roth has been pushed out to September and other big event, events will follow. And I don't see any major events happening until fall next year because I don't know if this is a, a very good idea to invite half of the world or at least um, half of Europe to, to one place when there are so different um, containment strategies and so different situations in all of those those different countries. So I, I'm realistic, I'm not pessimistic and uh, yeah, maybe we, we get surprised, but uh, to be honest, I don't think so. I don't think we'll see any um, age group or recreational sports big events uh, until the end of this year maybe the reason we're here is to talk about yourself and your background so you've been cycling since let me get this right you were about 14 was that right is that the first thing you took up yes exactly that was cycling and uh, i recall very very vividly it must have been in june or july i think july 1970 1987 when the Tour de France started with the Grand Depart in West Berlin and um, I went there with my dad and that was the first time I, I, I saw a, a bike race and it was the team time trial so as West Berlin was confined with that wall there wasn't there weren't those long over A to B stages but there was one stage which was of course the team time trail. and I stood there and I actually sometimes I, I googled it on on YouTube, and I found the the exact video of it, that exact exact time at that that day where I started cycling, and of course, all the guys were flying by with those the colorful kits and the disc wheels, and it was really on with high speeds. So, how can you not be intrigued by that, right? So that's. And I said I want to do that. So <laughs> I I got my I got from my dad. He, he bought me like a 61 centimeter frame Peugeot bike back in the day, and uh, I was way too big. But then I got a very nice Colnago, which I bought secondhand, or my my dad actually of course bought secondhand, and it was a red one and with Campagnolo, yeah, and. Um, still with outside shifting and outside brake cables and clips and so no clipless um, pedals anything like that and uh, yeah then the first race was actually <laughs> uh, yeah i recall it was on uh, in october also uh Berlin state championships individual time trail i think it was 10k or 8k i don't know so it was up to kronprinzessin week and um yeah i, I finished second on my very first race the time trial and just um, last year, uh, one of the very few events that I was able to do was actually a similar event, similar distance. And um, it was also a, a time trial. And I finished now in the uh, Masters. I finished third. So for me, that's um, <laughs> that's kind of uh, coming full circle with the very beginning and where I am right now. That's consistency for you. Yeah, very good. Very good. And you've... Um... You obviously got a passion for for cycling as well, and do you watch it all at the moment? Well, obviously there's there's not a great deal that's been on recently, but the UAE Tour has just started, hasn't it? Um, you, do you watch? Are you a big big cycling fan? Yeah, well, definitely. So this is my my passion, which has stuck with me uh, since the very beginning and yes even to the extent that if there was any race even some third or fourth category race or local race of course i, I try to watch it and uh, of course it's easy to it's very nice actually to to look at those to spectate uh, with the the big tv coverages of of the grand tours but also the classics so i actually really like the watching the classics so i, I follow everything i follow everything online and um and on television and whenever you ever 
when you've ever been to the Tour de France, and as I've been there many times, it's always something very, very special. I've just had the opportunity to, well, just a couple of years ago, to go there with my wife and my, my son to, up to Alpe d'Huez. And um, yeah, I always, there were certain decisions I had to make earlier on whether to pursue this cycling endeavor further or to get a real job and earn real money. And yeah, I, I made a decision, but maybe doubted it uh, for a decade or two. But at the end, um, yeah, it was the best. It was the best thing after all. And I'm still following cycling, and I'm still still in love with it. And I think I will ever will always be. And hopefully, I can pass some of that passion on because it's a sport that, despite not always the strongest coming out up front it's something that rewards hard work and tactics and it's it's not only the one who who's the strongest wins as i said and that's something that's very um yeah it, it's maybe also a metaphor for life right so if you if you crash you get up you you hop on your bike again you just get going right so it goes up and down but it's always forward right left right it's that's what you get from cycling i don't think you get from many other sports i don't say any other but many other sports that's unique that's why i love it great yeah yeah i'm the same with you i mean i've been watching and cycling for a long time not not in your league but watching it from a kid um watching the likes of sean kelly and stephen roach and robert miller they were my my heroes when i was growing up um yeah and i just still the same still love it like you dipped out a little bit um as as work took over but yeah just i still i still love it it's one of my one of my passions uh, I watch everything um so when you got into cycling was it track cycling mainly or cuz you i noticed in your email you put you you did cyclocross and um pursuit so how did it all mix together your um your cycling achievements yeah well as you start off you <clears throat> you best to me you do everything so you start off on on the road and then you mix in some some cyclocross in the winter time and if you're lucky you you can go on the on the track uh, we in berlin we had an an outdoor track which was uh, well <laughs> right now i think there's a furniture outlet there so the, this track is no more so it was I did most of the training outdoors, of course. So um, on the road, meaning outdoors, there was no indoor training, like you like you know it right now. So yes, yeah, so we started off with just regular riding and, and training, and I had this this one loop where you'd always go and in the afternoon with all the big stars, with Mike Kluge being just I think he was world champion at that time, of course, and um, you always try to to go one a little bit more distance with those guys, and you would admire them, and um, then you would go to i would go to the track so we would have like cup races on on wednesday on the track and then on thursday you would have a cup race on berlin local cup on the road so you have a two or three races on wednesday and then you have one road race or a crit on thursday then you recover and then you have a race on saturday and sunday at that time you had a lot of races even in berlin you had the same course but then Saturday a little bit shorter and Sunday a little bit longer so and that mix I think makes if you started early on makes for a good overall bike handling and good overall tactical skills and people always say yeah you have to for good bike handling you have to go to the cyclocross or mountain bike or something like that but uh, actually I think track is also true because it's it's not as easy as it seems to go around the track it is when you're used to it and um, you also you have fixed gear and everything so that also makes for very good bike handle because the speeds are generally higher and uh, there's more tactics so you don't have you don't think so much about how you move your bike but more about the the dynamic of the pack so and you learn to gauge distances and speeds a little bit better i think so yeah that's how this all started and then this developed slowly developed into a love or speciality or being specialist for for 4000 meter pursuit which then ended uh well no, not ended but <laughs> being in berlin at that time and uh, shortly after the the reunification you had like really high caliber guys come over so and i recall finishing second to guido fultz in 1992 and i think six weeks later i got lapped yeah 
but it was the final also back in the day you the pursuit was a real tournament so it's not like two races as it is right now so you have to do like heats and qualifying and so on but anyway so he went on becoming olympic champion in, in barcelona mm -hmm. in the 4000 meter team pursuit and uh, uh yeah i was still riding in berlin schoenberg <laughs> but still to be up in that in that company at that time must have been must have been quite satisfying yeah yes and you see that you always know that those guys are, are really on, on another level and yes but as i said if i i made the decision to do certain to not go a certain route and not do certain things and to um to pursue a, a real job <laughs> or a, a different career rather and uh, that's that's what i did and um yeah so but yeah that's what i did back in the day that's good i mean as long as you can look back and think yeah i did what i did but i feel comfortable with it now that's that's all you can hope for isn't it yeah, that's the most important thing, and also maybe if you would, if I would have done something different or made a different decision, I wouldn't have been riding now or doing in the multi sports as an, as an age grouper. So that's also a big takeaway because if it's your job, you might get you might get fed up with it, and I'm not. But I mean that the thing is, you've you've done it for so long. It like me, it, it just becomes a lifestyle, doesn't it? You, what would you you know you've done it all your life. So what what would you do? Somebody took somebody took it away from you tomorrow. Uh, please don't. Um, yeah. Well. Uh, so. So here's the thing. So I am. Um, my way of training is I'm. I. I'm like a commute world champion. <laughs> and so I. My way to or my distance to work is about direct way, maybe 22, 25 kilometers, and I can extend it up a little bit, like 30, if I go on narrow or quieter roads. So I train. If I go to the office and go back to the office, so I have to get there anyways, right? So if, if I take the train or some other mode of transportation, I would have this hour, hour and a half anyway. So I can use this as my my commute, getting to work when there's office time again, and also putting in some intervals. So please don't take the cycling away. And it's also, in order to do so, you have to be not not injured so you have to be healthy so first and foremost is to make not have it taken away from you but also be prepared that you don't take it away from your you yourself in order while by being healthy by keeping healthy by doing the right things not overdoing it right because then you can pursue it for as long as you want hopefully as if everything plays out the way you want it. So I would actually struggle if someone would say you're not riding anymore. So yeah, it's not also, it's it's a lifestyle. It's something that's embedded in into myself. Yeah, so no, please don't take it away. You've got to give yourself the best chance. It's a long game, isn't it? This this life lark, hopefully. And you've got to give yourself the best chance of surviving and, and having quality of life down the line, not just longevity. So you've taken that strong bike background into triathlon. So how did the whole triathlon come about? How did you find multi-sport? Yeah, so I always looked a little bit um, outside of the cycling box. And I think it was Dirk Aschmonite back in the day, a German guy who is known, I think, as the German Rambo. And uh, outside of Germany, especially in the States. And that was something where I said, hmm, yeah, so running and swimming, those guys must be the toughest because they're doing all of those things three endurance disciplines and of course it was um, the iron war in 1989 where mark allen and um, dave scott they were battling it out on in kona and it, that was something that where you have those certain moments you they're like romantically blurred even today you watch them on on tv and you want to say ah that this is what i want to do this is like the pinnacle of endurance sports so uh, I, I looked around a little bit and of course there was there were a lot of triathlons going on back in the day and especially also in, in the berlin area so that's why where i always tried to i was always a little bit hesitant because of the pure bike racing which then i would of course had to sacrifice for that which i eventually then did on and off love so to speak but uh, that was where i first 
looked into triathlon and multi-sports and yeah, nothing really crazy, but I would, I pictured myself doing this eventually one day. Yeah. So just going back then to your first, what was your first triathlon? I know you, you sort of like glossed over that aspect of it. So what did you start? How, well, how did you, a bit more detail, how you got into triathlon in the first place? Who, you, you, you said, you said, obviously you knew, you knew about it and you knew all these, these icons, but you yourself, did you go to a club or, you know, was it friends that you knew were involved? How, how did that come about? Yeah, that was, I think, in 1990 or something like that, 1991 or so, 1993, I guess. It was an Olympic distance, and that was in the Havel, the which is a, a, a stream here in Berlin, and you ride next to it on, on your bike rides, on your training, so you know it and you know the run course. I actually um, borrowed a sleeveless wetsuit from a friend of mine from a local triathlon club and yeah it was horrible <laughs> the swim was horrible i was breast stroking all the time because uh, i have no technique uh, i'd also say i don't have it right now and even lost it <laughs> now for the um for, due to lockdown but anyways so now blame it all on the lockdown right no so the swimming was of course bad and the bike was good but it's a little bit different to ride after swimming especially when it takes a lot out of you because you lack the technique and um, then of course it was the 10k run which is also different when you run off of the bike and of course i didn't do any sort of transition training or any sort of brick workouts or even any structured training and that was also something i really liked is the romantic the thing of just finishing it not being not looking at any times or looking at its results rather than finishing the event yeah so that's i i can vividly recall that one and also a little bit a little sprint triathlon which was uh, also in, in that area. So these were my first endeavors in, in multi-sports, which were also easy to combine with the cycling, slick keeping up cycling at the time. Yeah, but swimming, uh, I don't know. It's if you don't if you don't learn it from like eight or six years or five years old, if you pick it up late like I did, uh, I, I don't think unless you put like really really a lot of effort and time into that, you can. It's hard to get any. Like not any good, but real good into it. Yeah, but that was my first triathlon. Yeah, totally agree because it's such a technical sport, isn't it? Let's face it. So how does so that was your swim part? But obviously, you got your bike nailed because of your history. How did you find the run when you started? Um, had you done any running previously uh, before your triathlon, or was that not obviously not as much of an effort as the swim was? Yeah, that wasn't as bad. And uh, it's not as technical. People think that running is not technical, but it actually is. But that was not that that big challenge. It was getting good at it or better is a challenge, but just doing it because you, you don't you don't drown if you if you stop running, but if you stop swimming, you you go under, right? Uh, no, but honestly, so I did a, the first marathon I did in 1980, in 1993, I think, or 94, uh, just prior to my first, um, not prior, but three years later, I think I did my first long distance triathlon, which was uh, at the time Ironman Roth, which was the Ironman Europe. And um, yeah, uh, so I knew how to run. I know how running felt. And I knew also knew that if I would want to get any good at it, I would have to practice it. Maybe also lose a little bit of weight because as a cyclist or pursuit cyclist, you, you have a little bit... Uh, you can afford to have to be a little bit heavier, but running translated better off of the cycling than the swimming. <laughs> the swimming did for sure. So running wasn't that that big of a deal. And right now it's turned into one of my yeah. Also, so I think second biggest passion. So you've done Ironman Roth. Yeah. How was that? Yeah, it's it's amazing, it, and it still is, and it, that's the beauty of it. It's if I. If anyone asks me where should I do my my first long distance triathlon, and people would say, yeah, you have to. Go, if you don't want to have this Ironman brand on it, uh, go to Roth, yeah, because it's it's the whole area of of Hilpolstein and Franken, who is they are really behind that, and they they live this. And the course, it has changed a little bit, but back in two thousand in nineteen seventy nine. 
1997, that was a year when Luc van Lierde, actually, I re remember, he broke the, or set the world record, 751, and I was just going out, I was into the, the final marathon, I think 5k or something, or 10k, and he was already back in the, going back into the finish line, and I think he ran the second, uh, the last 10k in 34 minutes or something, which was unheard of at the time, and uh, I always remember that, so that was really crazy, and uh, yes, and then I did it another, did it 10 years later, yeah, 2007, yeah, 2007, I, I did my, my second long course, I guess, I thought, yeah, I think so. It was also in Rot because uh, I wanted to go back there because that was just the the atmosphere and uh, everything everything about it, which is really really great. So challenge Rot as it is right now um, is one of the best events ever. If you go up Solarberg and uh, you you saw the pictures probably, that's something you will never forget. And it's like going up the Tour de France Alpes d'Huez. It's like ten lines deep or five lines deep, and you get goosebumps and yeah, and people say is this better than than Hawaii? I don't know. So I was lucky enough to to have also have, have experienced both. And in 2010, I finished Ironman Hawaii, and I've been back then. Uh, 2000. Uh, my wife she did, she finished three times, and I think 2000. I know 2018 was the last time we were back there and it has changed and yes it's it's tough and it's the pinnacle of our sports everyone wants to be there and to have competed it and uh, if anyone asks you about triathlon they immediately well at the one hand they say that's that one with the shooting right and but they <laughs> and then they ask you uh, so Ironman Hawaii did you do that and yeah so these are the two things but road is is more it's if you go there and if you haven't experienced it, if you haven't fallen in love or been intrigued with it, I think for some people the Ironman Road could be what uh, the Tour de France has been for me. So like a like a kindly, like an, like a starter for all that. And I've been there not only to watch, uh, to compete or to take part, but also to watch. So it's also a fun event to watch. Yeah, and, uh, my wife she did too in 2000. I think she also did it twice. 2014, just after the birth of her first son, she. Oh, she won her age group also, also also became national champion there and on the same course. So Ironman Rot or Challenge Rot, it's only, I can say thumbs up. Pass the, you pass the baton over onto your wife to, <laughs> to, to carry on, <laughs> which, is, which is fantastic. You know, as a, as a family, you know, that's just one, it's great. It's great for you both. But two, it's also fantastic for your kids seeing this, living in this environment, watching mum and dad do these things because it's going to, you know, hopefully it will, and it usually does, doesn't it, transfers over to the kids and they become all encompassed in it as well. Uh, yes, it does. Uh, uh, even even though I sometimes don't know if this is necessarily a good thing, but uh, the kids do what the parents, what they look up to their parents and they, they try to emulate you, right? So they, they are, he's on, the big one, he's on Swift even right and he runs he did his first uh, little run in 2016 at the Ironman Arizona when he was three and a half years or four years old and uh, even in Kona he, he did this little kicky dip and dash one mile run in 35 degrees Celsius so which is also hard for a small guy but uh, he loved that and we're trying to show him all the sports he plays soccer right now football of course sorry not soccer football and um we try to, to show him different sports and all the kids. At the end of the day, they want they have to, they do can do what they want. But if they are if they're moving outside, uh, yes, it's healthy and you just have you must not put any pressure on them. But it definitely does translate over, and I have to keep fit in order to uh, to keep up with him. So it's not only an age group <laughs> race, but it's also. Uh, an age group race for yourself. So, how did you get into the whole um, age group setup? No, by by racing, racing uh, in the age group setup. 
<laughs> yeah, well, first of all, by by simply uh, getting older. Uh, no, no. But uh, here's the thing. So, yeah, you if you in in, in multi sports with the German Federation, the way it works is you can apply, and there's a point system in place where you can accumulate points, and they are based on or ranked to I think it's state championships, regional championships, and then European nationals, Europeans, and and world championships. And if you are within a certain top 10 or top 20 and then you have enough points they get ranked and if you have uh, there's they have a certain amount of slots for each event and if you happen to be in that uh, that uh, area uh, within those points or if you're a national champion you can go to the to the the championship and uh, i wanted to try out for the cross triathlon the xterra worlds which uh, i think i finished 11th or something in my age group always and then of course the um long course duathlon and you in in, in sofingen which is uh, my goal still and so you have to just accumulate all the points and but usually germany has in or few enough or enough slots or not that many people that want to go at least for duathlon so that it is pretty safe that you actually get a, a slot on the on the age group team yeah coaching do you self-coach yourself with all your experience that you've got are you still part of a club or have you got a coach yeah, well, I'm part of a, of a club. It's the uh, A3K uh, in Berlin, which uh, stands for Ausdauer Dreikampf, so Endurance Three Disciplines Cup. I actually call it A2K because uh, I don't swim and I actually pay less uh, for the club because I don't lose, use the swimming times. But to answer your question, uh, I'm self-coached. I have had a coach for for in cycling, of course, but uh, for triathlon, I had a coach I think for one season, and that that doesn't really work out because. It's always highly dependent on the time availability. And honestly, right now, I, I know how I feel and I know the basics. And I, sometimes if there is something on the schedule which says you have to do certain intervals or no intervals and you feel differently, I tend to error, error, err on the side of my feeling and also err on the side of when in doubt rest because sometimes it's just it's always a fine line right so you know sometimes you have to do certain sessions fatigued because that's part of the game but um some people don't know when there's or if less experienced athletes don't know when there's the, the difference between that pain you, you you better sit out and wait and relax and recover and the, the sort of feeling when you have to push through it and that's something a coach cannot cannot give me personally uh, and unless you're living with me you, me 24 7 which and as a result i can uh, i know when i prepare my wife or when we prepare together for a big event i can give the, the best advice rather than just looking at a pre-filled training plan but that's just me for other people that works but uh, with all my, i always um, look back and all, all of my my history and, and, and into my my own body and then i it always gives me the most of the time it gives me the best answer i mean like you say with all the experience that you've got and you've been doing this a long time so and you know don't you how it all fits in and, and what works best for you, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Yes, and it also changes um, within the the time span of your your life, sporting life and career. So you if you've doing been doing this for like three decades, it you don't have to and you can you also cannot pile on that loads of intensity every time, every time, every time. And you also, you don't have to because um, you have a lot of memory and a lot of structural adaptations that have taken place. So you only play with the biochemistry and therefore you don't have to put in that big of an effort in order to achieve a certain level of fitness. If you've did it one time or well, multiple times in your life before that, but um, you can only, only keep it for as long. So if you peak, you can peak for 10 days, two weeks. And when I was younger, I could peak for like four weeks. 
right? So that's that's not possible anymore. So my goal right now is to <laughs> actually uh, maintaining is is like winning because if I maintain my let's say let's put it on like an FTP or some number, uh, some threshold thing, I can do the same recall uh, reproduce the same numbers as I could for like a year ago or two years ago. I would still be making gains, right? Because uh, consistency is yet again the name of the game. So you you strive to hold within a certain corridor of fitness, and if you can maintain that for long years, that's that's basically it. So, but just don't expect big jumps back in, uh, in at the back end of your career. You can still, but they will. They won't be. They will come at a cost, and they won't be sustainable for for any for a long amount of time. So, it's about how far do you drop, right? So, if you drop to a good level, so a nice, comfortable level, which is still high, well, mission accomplished. It's interesting because that's a, you're the second person within a matter of weeks who's come up and said, "I'm 53," and he's saying, "Well, as you're getting older, as long as you can sustain where you're at." That's all you need to do because everybody else hopefully will be going down, but you're you're still being able to push that power, same power, or you still be be able to run the five k at the same same pace. And as you get older, if you can keep doing that, yeah. And to be honest, it becomes more struggle of well, struggle. So the challenge right now is to find the time. So if certain some people or some athletes or have the the challenge of finding motivation for me and for my my family and my my wife especially. So there's not the challenge of being motivated, rather the challenge of finding the the time to do so, right? And at the other end of the spectrum, having the kids, I think they prevented us, well, me certainly, from from overtraining because I simply don't have the time to to put like back-to-back hard sessions. Well, I can do hard sessions, right? But hard and long sessions, back-to-back-to-back-to-back, which then would burn you out. So we get burned out differently if you have kids, right? But um, the lack of time, I would say, made me a better athlete uh, in in the last decade than training more. So... If people say train smarter, not harder, that harder, that's that's always a. I don't really like that, but uh, you can. All, training smart does not necessarily mean not train hard, but you know what I mean. So you you don't you don't necessarily have to put on those big volumes, right? So and if you do, you do it at a certain time where you need to, and not just because you can. So next question then is, what's your favorite piece of kit and why? Favorite piece of kit? Well, yeah. Well, of course, it has to be. Well, I would say my. Well, maybe my maybe. Well, it's twofold. So my my road bike because that's it's a Kenda Synapse from 2000. Currently from 2013, and it's just perfect because it's um, it just fits me so well. I can stay on it for hours, and it's. It has all the the right little tweaks, like being one by system and tubeless, and and all these things where I can just I don't think about it. And it's just very reliable and fast. And if I can push the pedals harder, it goes even faster. That does not make it a good piece, my favorite piece of kit, but it's still something I go back to and I can rely on. So that's something. Shoes and stuff, I don't know, because they, you change them so often and then with new technologies come along, not not saying that it's not the same with bikes, but just recently, so with all the running shoes, I don't know. But one thing comes to my mind is uh, a Gore-Tex jacket I got at a, we were doing a photo shoot for, for Gore-Tex and uh, that was some windstopper, it's nothing fancy, it's just a windstopper. Uh, on on top and then some fabric on the some some jacket. I see. I, I don't really know uh, what it, what specifically is made of. Obviously Gore-Tex, but um, that's something I can run in all the time. I don't have to put a lot of layers underneath. And um, those things just they just stick with you and onto you literally sometimes. 
but uh, no so and uh, it's not really fancy and uh, i also go by the <laughs> the mantra of if you keep things long enough they get come back into fashion right so but i would say this is well right now uh, in the winter and uh, springtime that's one of my go-to pieces of kit so i would say yeah that's my that's my my favorite piece of kit right now yeah yeah what are your short term and your long term goals uh, yeah well short term short term goal would would have to be uh, to get back into the rhythm of commuting <laughs> Com- commute training and um, yeah this is just as i said maintaining being able to have the time to maintain fitness and the other long term goal has to be i've now finished on the podium of the long distance triathlon in uh, duathlon in in Roth, uh, in man in sofingen twice so i'd have the silver medal and the bronze medal so i would go i have to go back there and get a uh, the gold medal so anya she has the gold medal from 2014 yeah so i i want that too and this is the yeah this is yeah also running a fast marathon maybe but this would this would be the one thing that matters most to me to become the first in my age group whatever that may be at the time in um powerment surfing is that a du- was is that duathlon in what distance correct that's a duathlon that's a 10k run 150 bike and 30k run yeah and this is i think it's one of the one of the toughest races or one of the hardest races and yeah being at the top step of this event uh, in my age group as i said that's my long-term goal and i'll yeah put everything to, into achieving that great to have a great to have a specific clear goal isn't it yeah makes it easier right not that i would not do the things I do anyways, but certain sessions you just do because you know you want to win that thing, right? Or you want to have this certain result. And I always said, and I said to my son, come on, so if if I get that top spot on in this event, I'll stop. Of course I won't stop, right? But then maybe uh, it's not this, um, this, this desire, which is not always... Um, not, not saying not healthy, but this is which drives you, right? So if, but also maybe if I don't achieve it ever, I will still have that drive to thrive for that, right? And to, to strive for that one, this certain goal, and uh, yeah, makes it easier. Maybe I accomplish it. Maybe I don't. I'm. I think I will. But um, yeah, it makes it easier, and it's always good to have something not right next door but on the horizon which keeps you uh, going towards death well that's a great place to finish thank you ever so much for your time um have you got anything no it's a pleasure have you got anything that you want to add do you want to um, tell people about your youtube channel and anything else that you you're currently on with um yeah oh so thanks for the opportunity so yes you can go on to um well youtube and you can google stefan leuendorf with double F, and then you, uh, I think my channel will come up. I also have the um, the website, which is uh, slowtwitch.de. So slowtwitch as the, the muscle fiber, and de for Deutschland, Germany, and also Instagram. I think it's s Leuendorf, and I also do a, a podcast with uh, pro triathlete and my friend Christian Kramer. It's the triathlete podcast. Uh, you can also look it up wherever you get podcasts. Probably it's next to the uh, MGB podcast. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, you can just just look it up. And thanks for the opportunity, Rich, again to to point the people to to my 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 face. <laughs> it's available there for people to go and have a look and seek seek you out and see what see what you look like and what you're up to. So that's uh, that's always good. Put a face to the name and. Because obviously this is a podcast and we won't, we don't see, we don't see what people look like generally until I put the photographs on Instagram and stuff like that. So that's the other thing you could do for me is to send a, some of your favorite um, photos over so we can use it for the promo. Uh, yeah, I will, uh, for sure. I can send you some over. 
Yeah, so um, thanks for having me. And um, it was it was a real pleasure and uh, wish you all the best. And hopefully <laughs> we see ourselves uh, in, in real life sometimes on the road. Thanks. Well, thanks again, Stefan. I really enjoyed that chat. Um, very knowledgeable and thoroughly nice man. Um, good luck with everything in the future. And hopefully we might be able to meet up at some point also in the future. Um, yeah. So thank you once again. So hope you enjoyed that. And if you did, please leave us a message. Um, give us a thumbs up. Uh, subscribe to our podcast on whatever platform you listen to. And don't forget, you can follow us on Instagram at amp underscore 1967. And on Facebook at ampgb. You can also go across to our website, which is agegroupmultisportpodcast.buzzsprout.com. You'll find all the podcasts on there. And also, uh, we're on Twitter at Age Group Multisport Podcast. So, lots of platforms to um, follow us on. And also, if you want to get in touch and drop us a, an email, we're on agegroupmultisportpodcast at gmail.com. So, thank you once again for listening and taking the time out of your busy, busy lives. Um, I hope you enjoy it, and we'll see you next time. And don't forget, Stay safe, keep training and love the process.